don't know how to even begin to communicate the gravity of what I'm going to be talking about now, knowing that you probably will hear this as what I'm about to say is a simple thing. But this is no simple thing. I believe the world is changing rapidly and where I, I wrote the last, in the last week, everything is not okay. Everything is not okay. Before COVID, loneliness was deemed by our government as both an epidemic and one of the most pressing public health concerns in Australia. That's before COVID. In 2021, more than one quarter of women aged 18 to 24 agreed with the statement, I often feel very lonely. Our behaviour has changed. What we, how we actually spend our time has changed. They haven't done this work in Australia, but in America, teenagers have, are spending at least three hours a, a week less with friends socially than they were uh, 15 years ago. They reckon that there are three major reasons we're in this crisis that they're identifying. The first uh, is clearly linked to screens. And screens are changing our behaviour. Our phones and our TVs, the amount of time we're in front of a phone or in front of a TV is, has, uh, is gobbling up our time. The, the second reason they believe uh, our behaviour is changing, we're, we're becoming more and more lonely, is that we are busier than ever. I just, while in my uh, time off, I read a book by Martin Luther King, uh, who was talking about where the society has to go. And he, in, in, the 19, in about 1962, he was writing, all these technological innovations that are coming and are going to give us so much more free time. That was the general understanding back in the 60s that technology was going to free up our time. Turns out technology was a tool to make us more productive in an economic machine and better consumers in an economic machine so we actually filled our life with much more than doing a lot less and so we have less time for relationships than we did. And the third reason they reckon that uh, loneliness is an epidemic is because all the associations that hold society together are fragmenting at the seams. All the, the rotary clubs and, par and mothers' clubs and parents' things at the school and, and yeah, churches, they're all, the, all the things where people can voluntarily spend their time and come and associate towards an end, they're, they're fragmenting. And so we're losing touch with one another and harm and I have had a long discussion this last week about whether correlation is causation and all that sort of stuff. But what is also true, uh, and it's clear that correlation is not causation. I want to make that clear. Robin's there, she's done that, you know, anyway. Um, but it is also true, and I, I do think they're related. As loneliness goes through the roof, uh, 
so does mental health issues in our country. I don't think... There is, what is true, research has shown, the number one way for you to be happy, the number one thing that's... You know, all the social science backs this up, is to have deep and healthy relationships with people. Siri's just talking to me here, so she's trying to give me some research. Um, so I, I actually think what we're going to talk about today is at one level incredibly simple. But another level is revolutionary if we actually do it. And it's this. What would happen if we learnt to listen? I believe that if you want to change the world, just listen to two people well a week and watch what happens. If you want to change the world, just listen to two people well a week and watch what happens. I actually think that the, the, the main reason behind all of that there is, our society has been telling us something that is, is a fundamental lie that means that we don't listen. And it is this, you should trust your gut. You should have integrity and, and trust yourself and don't do anything that doesn't feel right. I don't know how to break the news to you, but to listen to another person necessarily means putting your own world aside. It actually necessarily means putting your own judgments aside. And initially, it will always feel like work. I think one of the dangers for a church, particularly if you've been around a church for a while, you think you know people. And so you relate to the people you think you know. One of the things I have learned in my marriage is my marriage is usually in the most trouble when I think I know my wife. Because I'm no longer relating to who she is, I'm relating to the person in my head. You don't know yourself, let alone anybody else. And the challenge we have is to help one another grow and that happens as we learn to listen. It's interesting, I've been, uh, I'm loving and hating the process of writing the book I'm doing at the moment. It's, I, I feel like I'm seeing something really important but I'm, I don't know how to distill it down and make it clear but one of the things that I, I am most fascinated by uh, is that uh, the, the vision Jesus has for his church is not that we'd be big or not that we'd do lots of good stuff for people or not that we'd have wonderful times of singing. The vi when, when Jesus comes at the end of his life to pray for his church, the one thing he prays, is that we would be one. And I think one of the dangers, if you're growing up in the 70s and 80s and 90s, like I have, one of the dangers is we think that kind of means the ecumenical movement where, you know, churches get together and do stuff together. 
that's the least of what Jesus means, I think. I, I don't think that's wrong. I think some of that's important. But what he really means is you and I, relationally. He means us across churches, but he means that his body, it's not just a structures getting together or leaders getting together, it's actually us getting together. The Apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, wrote uh, the book of Ephesians. It's interesting, the earliest manuscripts don't actually say Ephesians is written to the Ephesians. Did you know that? That actually said, the earliest manuscripts don't say to the people of Ephesus. What what it seems to be clear is Paul wrote a circular letter that was meant to go to Ephesus and Laodicea and a whole bunch of other places. And, and you'll, because you'll see it's not, most of the other letters are speaking to specific issues in churches. Ephesians is really gently and cleverly and beautifully crafted to say this is the important stuff. And the first three chapters are this majestic picture of who God is and what he says is important. And then the the last three chapters are the the implications of that. And as Paul, at the start of chapter 4, says, these are the implications of this incredible truth that I have just spoken about in these other three chapters. He says this, As a prisoner for the Lord there, I then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. We talk a fair bit about calling here in this church and I, I think it's essential for you to discover and step into the calling that God has for you. But I do think there is a danger, that's why we keep talking about community, there is a danger. Our, the idea of calling fits well in our society because we like doing stuff that suits me. <laughs> but it's interesting, Paul goes direct from calling. Notice what he says next. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He is saying the opposite of what our society says. Our society says, don't go anywhere near people that cause you problems. Anyone that upsets you, you should keep at arm's length. And if people don't truly understand you, then find someone who will. Basically, our society says, listen deeply to your inner world and let your inner world run the show. What Paul is saying is in the body of Christ, you don't do that. First of all, you be humble. Humble Humility is having an accurate picture of yourself. Let me be clear and upfront. As I say all this, I'm not saying this is the recipe to be a doormat. No, Jesus was no doormat. And abuse is never right. It doesn't help anybody to allow abuse to continue. But we do need to learn to just in our day-to-day relationships, particularly when there's not a power imbalance, we need to learn to bear with one another in love. We need to do the work to understand what life is like for each other. A community, what the 
the Bible calls fellowship, is this sense of you knowing what life is like for me and me knowing what life is like for you. The process to get to that will never happen accidentally. And it will not happen even if you're very, very smart and very, very skilled and try and work everybody out. The only way for you to know what life is like for me is if you create space. And often you won't feel like it. But create space to listen and let me tell you what life is like for me. And for me to do the same for you. Listening is... (laughs) You will rarely listen accidentally. What you will accidentally do is be self-centred. And you'll be worrying about how people see you. And you'll be hearing everything through your own lenses. To put your own worldview aside to enter the worldview of somebody else is always a conscious choice. And more than a conscious, it's not enough just to make a conscious choice. It actually takes skills. There are things you have to learn to do to be a good listener. So I want to talk about that. But I, I, I want one of the dangers here, we can look out at the world and say everyone out there isn't a good listener, but... Uh, one of the guys who was at the heart of trying to wrestle with how does the church find a future when the world is falling apart literally was in Germany in the 1940s and he said, look, we've got to, we've got to help church leaders do things differently. So what I'm going to do, rather than sit them in classrooms, we're going to put them together and let them live together and have arguments together and work out life together. And he actually wrote a book called Life Together. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in that process, in his book, what he writes is this, many people are seeking a sympathetic ear and don't find it among Christians. Because these Christians are talking even when they should be listening. Christians who can no longer listen to one another will soon no longer be listening to God either. They will always be talking, even in the presence of God. The death of the spiritual life starts here. Part of the reason I think the church is shrinking is we've actually believed societies lie that you should be full of yourself. It takes conscious effort to put yourself aside and enter the world of another person. It can be exhausting. And it's a bit inconvenient because it's, life is a lot easier when there are good people and bad people in the world and you can write off the bad people and just hang out with the people you think are good. But the truth is, as you listen to people, I've never... There are people I've found really difficult and have caused me a lot of pain personally. 
but I have never yet found a person that if... Well, I haven't yet encountered... I believe that if there with some severe psychological illnesses, you, you'll, it'll, there'll be a block that means you can't get to the harder stuff. But I haven't yet encountered anybody that if you have the time to stop and listen and get past the surface stuff, I've not yet encountered somebody who isn't beautiful. I know that might be hard for you to believe when you bring particular people to mind. It is much easier to see other people as bad or misinformed or, you know, wrong and, and relate to them like that. I, I, it's interesting for me to, as we step into this election season. <laughs> we, we're in a society at the moment where politics brings out dehumanisation. And it's so easy to, I, I'm now seeing from the inside, it's so easy to dehumanise politicians. Most of whom are doing their best. And I, I, I think, gee, we, we as Christians, we need to be an agent of humanisation. We need to do the work to listen and not just see people as the problem. If you're seeing somebody else as the problem in your life and it's not, we're not talking about a case of abuse, then actually it's you that it's the problem. So like I said, listening at one level is really simple. It takes a conscious choice, but there are things you need to be able to do in order for that for listening to be effective. I need your help here. Let's teach each other. I'm going to chuck up a Mentimeter slide now. What I'd like you to do is think about a time where you felt listened to. Think about a time where you felt listened to. There'll be a slide up here. You can use your QR code. Really love everybody. Uh, if you're at home or at Lena Valley or... Uh, online to participate. We need your help. When the, the last time you felt listened to, what was the person doing? What, what behaviour? How did they behave? What did they actually do that helped you feel listened to? Let's see if we together we can work out what makes a good listener. How did the person who last listened to you well, what did they actually do that helped you feel listened to? Let's leave that up there for a minute. So you can, if, you, uh, if you've got the Bible app and you've got the sermon notes there, you can, there's a link directly in the sermon notes to this too, if you want to go that way. If, you go, if you're on the Bible app, you just go to events and Citywide will pop up or you can search for Citywide if you're not in the Hobart area. Uh, I want to take a, just a moment to say, look... When it comes to listening, having a good intention isn't enough. When it comes to listening, having a good intention isn't enough. It's, a, it's the, the only starting point. Like if you, don't have a, if you don't intend to listen, you won't listen. But just intending to listen isn't enough. There are things you need to actually do to listen well to another person. So just have a chat around. If you're near someone who hasn't got their phone out, ask them what they, if they've got any answers. 
Let's start seeing some of these answers come up. Let's talk about what does it mean to be a good listener? What does it mean to be a good listener? What behaviours help somebody listen? It's interesting, isn't it? This is really helpful. And as much as, if you can narrow it down to a few words, that'd be helpful. Uh, can we put that QR code up again? Uh, a few people are still looking for the QR code. Thanks, Joe. Uh, mainly it's my wife. Not wanting to highlight anybody, but she, just a bit slow to get going. <laughs> so I think, I think Leanne's right now, the rest of the world can move on. Uh, now, let's, let's put those, that, the Mentimeter back up. Thanks, Joe. So let's see what, together, let's see what, what is it that people did that helped you feel listened to? See, you notice there's one thing here that's sort of standing out, isn't there? Really helpful just to see. So, as these answers come in, let's just start talking about that. Eye contact. What, that's the clearest and most uh, upfront one. That is a conscious choice. It is, particularly in our society, it's really tempting to look away, look at your phone, to actually, what eye contact means is the person has your attention. So it's a conscious choice to look. And you notice that the, the second most important thing to do <laughs> is to ask questions. Hear me on this. The number one people, the number one thing people do when they want to help people is give opinions. The number one thing people do when they want to help people is give opinions. The number one thing that would actually help is to ask questions. It is a it's hard though, particularly like for parents or, you know, for uh, friends where you see your friend doing something silly or, or if you're, you know, a little bit older and you can sort of say, oh, if only they did it this way, it's so hard to pull back and say, okay, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give opinions, I'm not going to give opinions. It actually, that's the kind of work that it takes. It takes that kind of self-talk to shut up. But you will not get to know someone unless you shut up. So that's eye contact and uh, asking questions. What else have we got there, Joe? Like looking at me, so it's eye contact, being patient. And, and sort of, you see, the, putting the phone away. But being patient, listening requires being patient. Absolutely. Uh, they were stopping what they were doing. They were open questions. Learning to ask open questions. Uh, they married you. No, 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 they mirrored, mirrored you. That's better. Okay. Okay, yeah, that, that, that's different. Uh, and, and let's just talk about mirroring. This is a skill that feels really weird. Like, it really does. It feels... Because what it means... I, I love it. We're going to leave this up and love you to keep looking back at this but I want to just talk about this mirroring thing for a minute uh, 
One of the most helpful things you can do if you're trying to listen to somebody is to reflect back to them how they're coming across and what they're saying. And sometimes, it can, it, when I started to learn this, they called it reflective listening. Gee, it felt weird because I felt like I should do something really smart. <laughs> but actually, one of the things you'll find is if you want to listen to people and make a difference in people's lives, the last thing you need to do is be really smart. What you, what you do when you mirror back to people something they say, like if someone says, I, I feel so frustrated. Now, at that point, you could jump in and say, you, sh- you shouldn't be feeling frustrated, you got it all together, what's the problem? Uh, or you could say, why, what happened? And you move them away from their feelings and get them to talk about the data, which is, one th- which is not a bad thing sometimes. But if all you do is just say, you're feeling frustrated, then what that does is it lets the person go, yeah. And it lets them be in charge of the conversation. Listening lets the person you're listening to, it is a gift, and it lets the person you're listening to be in charge of the conversation. And it lets them, one of the mirroring means you let them go down and be able to say, yeah, this is what's going on for me. There's a whole bunch of other skills. We've got the foundations course coming up in May and we actually take two whole sessions to talk about the specific skills of listening because listening is not just a choice, it is also a skill. But I am dead serious If you want to change the world, all you need to do is listen to two people a week. It's not normal. It's not normal. And one of the dangers is in your family, you think you know your family. And so you relate to the family that's in your head. Or in your church, you think you know the people in the church, so you relate to them in the person in your head. One of the things I get nervous about in our church is the number of times I hear someone say, oh, that's just so-and-so, that's what they do. What that indicates is that we're not relating to them, relating to the picture of them in our heads. I just want to briefly, there's a whole bunch of stuff I'd love to talk about, I just want to briefly introduce you to a, a diagram. This is one of the things we have to do in a church uh, is, I probably need to stop moving around too much at this point too, don't I? Um, Uh, We need to not only learn to listen as individuals, but listen in groups. We need to learn to listen. We we have life groups and kingdom cells and work groups. We organise ourselves as elders and trustees, all kinds of groups. We want to work out what does it mean for us to learn to listen in our groups. And so this is almost impossible. What, What I'm trying to show you is a kind of a mapping tool to help you think about what happens in your group. Because one of the things I've noticed in our church, and I notice in me, that there are patterns we fall into in our groups, in all our groups. That's normal. In all our groups, there are some people who are quicker to talk and some people who are slower to talk. Have you noticed that? And there are some people who probably won't notice that 
because they're at the top of what we call the, the status ladder. Well, that in every group, there is somebody, somebody with the most ability to influence and be heard and somebody with the least ability to influence and be heard. We talk about this in foundations as well. But what, I, what I'd love you to do next time you're in your life group or any group, you do, you do this at work too, is kind of imagine this map and imagine the centre of the map is our conversation. You notice the words, our conversation. It's the, the, the thing we are shepherding and caring for together. It is the conversation that is ours. And what you'll find is, if you had the space and time, and I'm not recommending this, but if you, if you had the space and time, you could appoint somebody to be your map maker. And what they would do is, if somebody... Uh, said something that was relevant to the conversation, they would just draw a, an arrow from that person into the our conversation, and it would look like that. So that, was the, that would be somebody who just says something that is relevant to everybody there. Now, that's like one comment. They'd call that a transaction. What they would also need to do is you'll find that in your group, whatever group it is, There'll be times where people say something and nobody notices. And so they draw a little arrow like that for that. And there'll be times when, in your group, people uh, have a conversation sideways to what's happening in the group. So they're talking to each other while everyone else is sort of sitting there you know, watching what's going on. And so it's sort of a, a sideways contribution to the group. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying... It's not necessarily... It's, it's actually would not be a healthy group if everybody contributed exactly the same. But I am hoping in our church family to grow the awareness so that in our group we could at least have a bit of a mental map that looks a bit like this. This would be about a five minutes worth in a group. What I'd love it is if, if more of us in our groups could be a, a, at least aware. You see the person down the bottom there? They're probably saying the most. You know, there's a few people there who've had a crack at saying stuff and nobody's noticed. There's a few sideways conversations going on. And there are some people who haven't said anything. One of the really challenging things for leaders of life groups is that they'll often see all this stuff happening but not quite sure how to intervene or how to help. I, and, and there's a whole lot of layers to it and it really isn't helpful because one, one of the outcomes I'd love us to get to is to a real sense of authentic community. In an authentic community, not everybody talks the same amount. But the measure of an authentic community is that you know what I mean by my words and my actions and I know what you mean by your words and your actions. What that would look like in a life group would be if this person's not stopping talking, well, that's just business as usual. But if this person is not stopping talking, that's, that's unusual. Or if this person's really quiet, well, that's normal for them. And just for those people, that's where the group needs to, if, if this person says three words, often you'll find those people, when they say those three words, you really need to hear them. 
because there's a lot, a lot in those three words. Or this person over here, if they're being quiet, then everybody needs to learn to worry because that means that there's something going on for them. Learning what is behind people's behaviour and learning about the status ladder in the group. Learning, I, if, if you're someone like me who naturally finds it easy to talk, I'd love you to keep this in mind and see if you can have a few less arrows and be conscious of the people who haven't got any arrows coming out. Uh, if you're somebody who finds it hard to talk, you probably already know this. You've lived this. But can I encourage you to have a bit more courage in the groups you're part of to speak up a bit more? We need you. You see, I don't think it's an accident. Jesus says, I pray that they might be one, Father. And I think as Margot prayed, I don't think it's an accident, the ratio, two ears, one mouth. We've got to learn to listen twice as much as we talk. James says, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. I think one of the challenges we actually have in our church right now is we've, we've slipped, slipped into established patterns of relationship where we kind of think we know each other. And I really would love to encourage us in all our groups, in all our forums, in a cup of coffee after, to do the work to listen well and remind ourselves that we don't know each other. We, we really want to be a church that listens before we talk, where people actually feel seen. But let me... Let me tell you, that's going to take work. It's going to take work. And some of the people you least want to listen to are probably some of the ones you most need to listen to. And what it will always mean is a choice to put your world aside and enter the world of another person. Love to have more space to talk about this. It's simple at one level. But I, I really do think this world's in trouble. I really do think we are in a loneliness crisis to the point where Harm informs me that both in Japan and England they've appointed a minister for loneliness as though that's going to fix the problem. That's what you really want to do make it a, a, a government minister's job to fix up everybody's loneliness. But what it means is governments are recognising this is serious. Let's see, I, let's see if we can do things differently. Let's see if we can not just jump to dehumanise people who don't think like us. Let's see if we can shake up our settled pictures of even who we are together in the church. And do the work to listen. Because that's the kind of community that changes the world. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Where he says, I pray they might be one, Father, just as you and I are one. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your help. 
we have been shaped by a world that says we should listen to our own feelings and be guided by them, which doesn't set us up well to listen to the feelings of other people. Those three things that help us learn to do the work to have good eye contact, to ask questions and to mirror back to people what they're saying rather than just giving them our advice. Save us from being a bunch of opinion givers. Help us, please, Jesus, be a bunch of listeners and as we listen, help us also to listen to you. We want to confess Sometimes we've even made our faith about us. Save us, please, Jesus. It's always been about you. As we learn to listen to you, help us learn to listen to each other and help us be the kind of place where people feel welcome and safe and able to be heard. We ask this in your name. Amen.